You are listening to the Improv Save My Life podcast, brought to you on Bits, the Boston Improv Talk Station. All right, welcome to episode 23 of the Improv Save My Life podcast, brought to you on Bits, the Boston Improv Talk Station. I'm your host, Tom Boyer. Today I am joined by uh, co-host Bill Fryer. How's it going, Bill? Pretty good. How are you? Good, thanks. Bill is a member of the improv group Bus Cow. Um, he's also a student at the Improv Asylum uh, Training Center. Yep. And he is about to um, put out a podcast on bits called Deep Pod Cuts with yep. um, Zach Bain and Ryan Piranunzi. Piranunzi, yeah. I, it took me a while to get that, but... <laughs> okay. um, and today's guest is a big one. Uh, <laughs> That's a fat joke. <laughs> I like to insult the guests. Yeah, it's right kind of tough. Off. Uh, he's the artistic director of the of Improv Asylum. He's also the director of the training center, Mr. Jeremy Brothers. Hey, Jeremy. Hello. How's it going? Good. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for being here. Long-time listener, first-time guest. <laughs> nice. Um, so, on this show, we just kind of like to get uh, the backstory of uh, our guests. So, I was wondering if you could tell me where you grew up and... Just uh, kind of how you got into improv from there. All right. Um, I grew up in Tewksbury, Massachusetts. It's uh, about uh, 30 minutes north on 93. Yeah. Uh, the lovely Merrimack Valley. That's mm. uh, where I grew up. And um, I had a group of friends who were and are really, really funny. And, and a lot of what we did were bits. And I don't this think is we, like in grade school? High school. High school. You know, when everyone kind of finds their... Their sense of humor. Their group of people, that they, they, you know, your crew, if you will. Yeah. Um, I had a really funny crew. And we were doing bits before I understood that there was a term for it. And you, uh, at that point particularly, like, some people's moms and dads had, like, cameras. So we'd, like, make videos and we'd do sketches. And we didn't realize, I think... We didn't realize that people did that, that right. we were doing something that kind of came as a result of, uh, of us f- fucking around. And then all of a sudden I look back, I'm like, oh, we were writing sketches <laughs> and we were improvising in front of the camera and we were, you know, like going on long rides, kind of like riffing on patterns and heightening each other's deals and right. in a way that is both like kind of making fun of each other, but in a way that is kind of uh, extending each other's personas and, you know, like, ripping into each other in a real fun way. Right. <laughs> so these these videos, did were they just for the enjoyment of, like, the families of the people that were recording them? Or? I think they were literally for us. It was, like, it's so masturbatory. <laughs> like, I don't think we showed it to anyone. And a really good friend of mine, like, uh, released a DVD for us, like, oh, ten man. years later. Oh, man. And honestly, I, I wince. I haven't even looked at the DVD. <laughs> <laughs> it's sitting in a drawer, and I'm like, I don't need to see what I thought was funny in high school. That sounds like a nightmare. Um, but uh, one of my friends from high school was one of the original cast members here. Really? And I was living in Western Mass going to school, and she uh, she got cast, and we would talk on the phone all the time, and I'm like, so what is it? And she had such a funny way of describing it that I didn't know what the hell I was coming to see, but I came to the show opening night here, and I saw it, and I was kind of like, oh, oh, you're fucking around with each other. <laughs> okay, I get it. Oh. And... Uh, <laughs> How would you describe improv to people that have no idea what it is? No. This would be your forte, I would say, to describe it. I, I, I never know. I always it's use tough. Whose Line as a reference. Yeah, I think yeah. Whose Line is the most accessible thing. I, I think the thing that I, I tend to say is, like, we take suggestions from the, from the audience and we make up things based on it. Because whether you're doing, you know, improvised songs or scenes or a medium form or a standing interview into a montage, you know, the most basic thing that we do is we take something from the audience and we, we go and build something around that. Yeah. You know, um, And then it's hard for other people to be like, and sketch is what? I'm like, oh, fucking yeah. shoot me. <laughs> uh, sketch is pretty... Saturday Night Live. Yeah. 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 Those are the two hallmarks and I think it was literally the, the description of the show for like 15 years and it might still be in some places like, it's Saturday Night Live means whose line is it anyway? <laughs> um, because half the show is written and half the show is... Uh, it's improvised. Yeah. So I, I tend to say, like, oh, we take stuff from the audience and we make stuff up around it. 
So you you had the friend that was a cast member here, and you came to see her in a show. Yeah, yeah, I came opening night of the of the theater. Wow, oddly <laughs> enough, uh, not knowing that it would later become my career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you did you do any? Or was there any improv or anything like at school? Like you honestly, there was. Uh, I didn't know it. Um, I went to UMass Amherst, and oddly enough, uh, Norm Lavalette, who was one of the founders of this theater, was in the group at UMass and graduated a few years before me. So he was there like the first year they started uh, Mission Improvable. But I used I just remember looking. I remember seeing like flyers around the campus center, yeah. seeing flyers for Mission Improbable. I went, I went to UMass too. That that still exists as of yeah. like a few years ago. Oh no, they're yeah. they're going strong. Yeah. And I remember looking at the the thing, being like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, I kind of did the same thing. Yeah. And I worked at the Collegian, so oh, sure. uh, I was constantly in the campus center. Yeah. And I don't, I could tell you like they probably had a show every Saturday night, maybe even twice a week. And I just remember thinking like. Enough with the flyers. <laughs> I think it's kind of frustrating because you think of all the people that are just like, I don't know what that is. I have no interest in that. But if they actually came and saw a show, much like I did, hmm. a lot of people would be hooked. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's just a tough... Well, you also have to see a good show. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing more alienating to the concept of improv than people who go to see a shitty show and they're like, yeah, no, I saw that. <laughs> Hated it. I would always hear that the Mission Improbable shows were great, but like I would see the flyers everywhere, and I didn't really get it. And I was just like, "What? I don't." And I and just seeing it like all the time, it, it made me angry. It was like, yeah. I don't understand this. I had the same thing. There, yeah. there was a vibe where I'm like, "Oh fuck these guys!" <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They're overflyering. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I had no idea, and it wasn't until I, I kept trying to say to her, "Because she, you know, like my friend would say, like." Well, we have this thing where there's a bell, and she would get very kind of like specific. Where mm. I think I needed to hear like, we don't know what we're doing. We take a suggestion, and we have different structures. You know, even that. As I'm starting to say it, it sounds a super boring and b <laughs> super confusing. Right. Yeah. Um, seeing it is the only way to do it because half the people I know who see it, you know, I know a lot of people who are like, God, I hate improv. Um, really funny people who are like, God, watching improv. Yeah. Is hard sometimes if you're if you're watching bad improv. God bless you. <laughs> do you do you still have like these what are you doing conversations with your family, like when you go home or whatever, and they're like, oh, so what are you up my, to? My extended family doesn't really get it. I think yeah. my immediate family has seen shows and seen me in shows and seen where I went from taking classes. I have friends who, when I first started doing this, were pretty sure I was in a Scientology esque <laughs> cult. Because uh, the idea of being able to speak in levels, like, oh, I'm in level three. Mm. I understand acceptance. Mm. It sounds <laughs> yeah. so fucking culty. And in many ways it is. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, it's, improv is amazing because it kind of, like, trains your brain to think differently. And that is culty. Mm. Um, some of the stuff, I, I read Truth and Comedy, and some of the stuff, it does get kind of spiritual in it, and like mm. almost like a Buddhist approach to it. So, mm. and you're like you're like invoking stuff, and it's just like oh, it there, sounds there's that, interesting. There's I, that Del Close stuff where you're in, you know there's something very pagan yeah uh, about a lot of the stuff that a guy that guy did. But there is something very Zen I think about the idea. Of, I love this phrase, uh, you know, being perfectly okay with not knowing what the fuck is going on. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah. That to me is uh, this. The takeaway that no matter anyone who takes a class can probably try to incorporate that into their life. So, after seeing the show, did you start taking classes here? How did, how, how did you actually get involved? I was living in Western Mass for a while, and I would come out and visit my friend and see shows. And then I moved to Boston, and they around the same time they started te uh, offering classes. So I, I don't know if the theater was open for like a year or so before they started offering classes, or maybe not even that long. But uh. I started taking classes, and I was in the third graduating class. Who were the first teachers, instructors? Uh, I had Chet and Norm, and uh, the third founder, uh, who's no longer working with the company, is Paul. He was, I think, my level two teacher. Um, and I had a woman who was on the original main stage cast, Amy, Amy Rader. And then I had Chet and Norm again, you know, because again, I think there were only four or five people who were teaching at that point. Um, 
and then some of the people, the, the the main stage cast was much larger at that point. There were 12 people on the main stage cast. Were Chet and Norm on the main stage at that time? Yes. Yeah. So was the structure of the classes themselves similar to what it is now, like set or six levels? And yes. Um, there were not these classroom spaces that we have now, though. Mm-hmm. So all of the classes were taught in the theater, which meant that the only time they really offered classes were on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. and Saturdays at 1. And most of, you know, like, I don't know why they didn't have classes on Monday nights really for a while, but everyone who took classes here for the first couple of years, and, my, you know, again, my family thought I was insane <laughs> in, in some sort of cult because I would be, uh, initially I was in the 1 o'clock section for like two or three levels and then we merged and there weren't enough people in my section and we all kind of got diverted to the 10 a.m. class. I was like, motherfucker. (laughs) But it clearly spoke to me enough that I'm like, I'm getting up at 9 o'clock or 8.30 on a Saturday morning and driving into Boston Mm -hmm. and then looking for parking and then getting a cup of coffee. And it it became routine and it became something I really loved to do because the people I met in those classes were so funny. And the socialization that you learn as you, you experience as you're going through this program with them or any improv program is so so fun and so bonding and I, I have people in that class like who were living in the North End and to me that seemed so exotic at the time now I, I've lived here for five years so it's <laughs> less so but uh, I have friends and we would finish up class at you know like when I was in the one o'clock section we'd finish up class at also classes used to be three hours long wow. and uh, they were exhausting Beefy, um, yeah. yeah so the the class would end and we would all go out and we'd, um, you know, go get dinner. We'd go get a drink or we'd go out. We'd go to a movie mm. or we'd go and see a show. So, the, you know, like it became like an all day event for people. Right. Yeah. And, set, you know, like our classes ended up being like really, uh, really fun. Really, uh, you know, there was a very deep connection. Uh, and I, my grad class had like 13 people in it. And I think like seven or eight of us have continued to work here. Uh-huh. In one awesome. way, shape, or form. That's what, great. what was your profession at the time when you were when you were commuting in? And I worked at a software company, and I was originally hired to do web development, and they realized I was not great at it. <laughs> I had um, I was very self-taught, and I was great in the interview. Um, but then after like I don't know a couple of months, I realized like. He's not doing anything. <laughs> and they moved me to marketing where I was, you know, I was not able to do a lot of the kind of like the developing that they wanted where they have all this back-end stuff and they want a great interface. I was able to build interfaces that could do nothing. <laughs> uh, so I became just the, uh, you know, a web designer right. for them and uh, like interactive media. Like at that time, like Flash was very big for like opening up an email and getting like a flash postcard. <laughs> uh, so it was uh Brave New World. Yeah, man. Yeah. There was nothing um, worse than like your buddy said you don't like he's like, check out my band's page. And I was like, you don't have flash. Like, yeah. <laughs> that was that was that was me because I had learned a technology that no one cared about. Um, I was uh, very much a big uh, big flash developer and I was probably the first person to drop it when uh, Apple said like, oh and by the way the iPhone and iPad will not be yeah. handling Flash. And I'm like, great! <laughs> uh, I was the first to kind of like ring the death knell for that technology. Do you still do any any web stuff? You know, yes and no. Uh, I don't... I think that's like a skill you need to keep up with because the technology is always changing. And I do sometimes look into it for fun and then all of a sudden I find myself getting roped into a job and I, I hate it like... Mm. S- Six hours in, when I actually have to do something, I'm like, oh, fuck. I don't know how to do this anymore. Or I didn't, you know, like, what they've created from, like, what I knew to, like, jQuery plugins and being able to kind of, like, do that stuff. So there's so many things that are so amazingly automated now um, that there's a middle step of trying to implement the automated stuff into the old stuff that I'm like, how am I fucking this up? (laughs) Right. I'm fucking it up so clearly, <laughs> but how I'm doing it is unclear. Um, I tried to learn like C sharp, I think, 
whatever that programming language is. C++? Is that the easy or, one? There's the C, easy then one? there's C++, and then I think there's C++. I think that's, yeah, I did, I, it must have been C++, and... C sharp sounds like a music thing. That might just be a, a note okay. in music. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was just, it, I was really excited about it, because I was working in software development, too. Um, and like just trying to broaden my horizons mm. and it was just a nightmare just getting into it and like I, w I was I did like the hello world yeah. like opening stuff and like I made blackjack or whatever okay. and then I was go. like I'm, I'm all set with yeah this. So how, how do you go beyond hello world and blackjack to me is that thing of people who are really great yeah and yeah. people who can like envision something beyond the tutorials you've gone through yeah or like the people who want to get up at nine in the morning on a Saturday and go into programming class rather than right. improv class or something like that that's yeah. not I don't want to go to programming class yeah. it's just uh, speaking on that though there's something to be said and I, I recommend this to anybody just finding some kind of class that you're into even, uh, if, yeah. if, you, even oh, if you have a job that you know you're, you're content with but <clears throat> as an adult to find a hobby or a passion that you're into and for me it's improv I think for all of us here it's improv yeah. but um I can't recommend it enough to anybody, even if it's a drawing class or any kind of class, yeah. um, that you'll just you'll meet people with common interests, and you'll have fun. Like, I think it's even more important for people who do have this kind of improv passion to find a separate class, like to go get involved in a weekly yoga class or to mm. get, join a book club, because I think the snake can eat itself right. with it's improv, definitely, yeah. and it becomes kind of like people's all-consuming passions so to make sure that you are still like totally into something other than comedy yeah um i think it's so important you know like i i get really like into weird jags where i'm like all i'm gonna do is yoga from now on <laughs> um and that lasts for a little while but even that like is really refreshing to go into a place and have someone not talk about like Hey, so when are NXT auditions? <laughs> um, Speaking of, no, just that, <laughs> that no, I, I can totally. I there was a time when I was just like doing uh, just improv, all improv, just watching improv, going yeah. home, watching comedy, and it just you just get to this point where you just I'm just burned out, and the wheel is just spinning in place. It's no longer fun. Yeah, the, it's it's not fun at all, it's and a it's job. like why am I not getting better if I'm doing all of this crap? Mm -hmm. And I feel like it, it just gets to be like a block inside of you and you need time to like digest it, you know? Mm -hmm. Like eat a big, you know, bunch of pasta or something. You gotta give time for that to digest before you get those carbs or... It's a killer metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> it's a killer metaphor. <laughs> Marathon Monday. Drop Monday. Marathon Monday metaphors coming up next. On <laughs> bits. Bits. So, um, you... You started taking classes here. At a certain point, did you say, "I want this to be my profession," or did it happen organically? How did how what was the process with that? It, oh man, really slow. Because for a while, I was working at that software company. I went through the training center. You know, at that point, particularly the main stage cast wasn't getting anywhere close to a living wage. Mm. So it was never an idea that I could make it a career. Mm. It was, I want to do this more. And luckily, I got a job that facilitates my odd hobby. Um, it wasn't until, you know, I had, at that point, they didn't have house teams. At that point, they had a touring company, which is similar to the NXT in terms of it's the first thing that you can really audition for. Kylie was a part of that, correct? Yes. Um, they had a touring company, and I auditioned three times and did not get in. And... So weird for you to be saying this. <laughs> oh, man. I, well, I mean, here's the I thing. I, 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 I don't know. I don't picture you ever going through these same steps that, like... Oh, yeah. I don't picture you failing ever. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, and the thing is, like, uh, you know, it's something that I, I often say, like, you are not auditioning against yourself where you were a year ago. You're auditioning against everyone else in the room. Right. And if there are better people in the room, then you're not getting the, go the job. Hmm. You're not getting the gig. Even if you are super funny and you've made your own strides and, and people, I think that's often the difference between like classes and a gig, mm. you know, like you can in the course of eight weeks really uh, absorb some information and be able to process some concepts and utilize them to create comedy or to do great scenes. How you then become a performer 
that someone wants to watch and or pay money to watch is another gig entirely. Yeah. So particularly at that point, the, the main stage was the main stage, and this touring company was doing a lot of kind of road gigs, and they were looking for people with far more polished performers. Uh, and I wasn't. Uh, you know, like, I worked uh, every Friday night at Remington's, Dick Doherty's Comedy Vault, oh, with, yeah. like, the remnants of my improv class. My class had their grad show, and, like, four or five of them quit because they got touring company here, and the rest of us kept playing at Remington's, and we would go, we were such assholes, we would go to every grad show and just ask the people we really liked if they wanted to join our team. <laughs> so we just kind of kept poaching talent, and no other group kind of formed, because all the good people just came, because we had this really great a show. monopoly on the talent, the improv yeah. talent. Awesome. Um, such as it was, you know, like, and because we were the only group at that time who had a regular gig every Friday night at 8 at, uh, you know, in a, in a great spot. Because there were places like, oh, you can go to the Arsenal Mall in Watertown or the Arsenal Center for the Arts. Like, who the fuck is going to Watertown? <laughs> you know, this is r- was right next to Emerson. It was yeah. already a venue that people knew about for years. Mm. Uh, so I did that for, you know, a year or two. Uh, and then... The th- oh, I don't know. How, is this super boring? No, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm into this. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so the, the, at that point, the theater um, was expanding greatly, and they were selling out shows constantly here, and they were turning away hundreds of people every Saturday night mm. who were calling. It was like That's the nuts. boom time. So uh, the main stage moved to the theater district. And do you know where like, Royale is? Mm. It used to be called the Roxy. Yeah. I've heard of the Rocks. It's across the street from the Wing Center. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I know what you're talking about. The, the main stage moved there and did their show there. And what they did is they kind of dissolved the touring company and made everybody in it re-audition to be part of a new resident cast here in the North End. Right. So if you called the box office on a Friday night, they'd say, well, would you like to see our main stage at uh, the Roxy or the North End Theater cast on Hanover Street? So I was part of this amazing process where we all got to, you know, the, the people that I got cast with, we all got to create a new show. And that was, you were saying Kylie. Kylie was one of those people who auditioned again and got cast in the uh, what was called the NET, the North End Theatre Cast. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, as, as things do, you know, the city was not supporting two main stages, basically. And the main stage came back to the North End. Um, Were the main stage shows uh, the same as they are now in that, like, it's sketch and improv? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Were so, there... and our show was similar. Our show was similar to sketch and improv, except it was sketches that we had written. Right. Yeah. Right. Would they have, like, other nights where it was just straight improv? No. Okay. That's... At that point, the theater was only open... Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. Oh, okay. It didn't get, uh, it wasn't open on Wednesdays for a little while. Or actually, I think that when they brought the the main stage cast to the North End, I think we opened on Wednesdays. And then it was a very weird kind of like, you know, blended family. Because the main stage had like 16 people in it, and the NET had like 13 people in it. Mm. So the NET cast played like Wednesdays and Saturdays, and the main stage played Thursdays and Fridays. And I say this aloud... I still don't know how we had Saturday nights. <laughs> that was crazy. So the main stage that was at Roxy moved back to the North End. Yeah. Did you take that hard? Like, wow, we, well, we were the main stage here and now we're not. Or? Some people saw the writing on the wall much better than I did. Right. Um, because then it was really a ticking clock to eventually dissolving the NET cast. Mm-hmm. And some people knew it was coming and we're really good about it and it hit the rest of us kind of like what do you mean you're disbanding our cast and you're taking you know similar to like us you know my grad show going to different grad shows and pulling people they pulled the main stage uh, you know Chet Norm pulled the people they wanted to out of the NET and let go of everyone else so I was then let go uh, not retained and kind of like I auditioned three times for this (laughs) So I was, uh, you know, at that point kind of like, what am I doing? Um, But again, it was this thing where I had met people and I loved working with them. And it didn't, for me, it wasn't a career yet. It was something that I wanted to do. And I wasn't going to let anyone tell me I couldn't do it. Hmm. What would your advice be to people that do get rejection 
just take it in stride or like because you're gonna have that in this in this business yeah like, no I think no one job gig opportunity cast is worth ever making yourself feel bad about and I think one of the things that I think the best thing for me is that I started to go out on other auditions outside of improv and I realized I'm like oh if I get a headshot the fact that I've done improv classes gives me so much more experience and the fact that I've performed at a weekly place gives me so much more experience than any, any Yahoo who has woken up and said like I'm going to be an actor and I took a yeah. class at Boston Casting and now I'm an actor. <laughs> you know, the fact of the matter is like going through a training center like this is a year and a half process. Yeah. Uh, at that point, it, you know, like it's probably a little faster now um, because you can overlap classes. If you really want to like fast track that shit, you know, two or three weeks before your level one and signed up for a level two and all of a sudden you're, you're waterfall affecting your way through the training center in a half a year. Right. But... Um, you know, it, the 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 time that you spend with the people and that that's the reward. Right. And the other stuff is kind of meaningless because you get put on a cast, you don't get a cast, you get a job. So for me, I realized uh, going to regular auditions for commercials and for movies, and you know, the idea that the things that then made it my career made me realize that everything I was doing mattered very little on a day to day basis. You know, similar to, you know, you realize doing scenes, I go to a show and I, you know, I did a show on Wednesday. You know, I was probably in 15 to 25 scenes. If one or two of them aren't great, I don't go to the back line and be like, somebody else better do this. So I, <laughs> I lost it. I lost it. Um, so it's just a matter of like doing it. Doing like it and, 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 and enjoying it and not feeling like anyone can validate you other than you. I think I think for new people it's tougher because you don't have that those years of experience where absolutely you beat yourself yeah. up because you had a bad scene or a bad set or whatever and you don't have anything to like look back on. Yeah. You know what? I'm not you know I'm not gonna take this one show that seriously because there's been many others that were good. good. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I think for those people who I think it also goes back to those people who are monomaniacal in terms of this is all they think about. Right. You know, if you're able to then say, like, oh, my God, I got Game of Thrones on the TiVo. As soon as this shit is over, I'm going home. Yeah. Or, oh, my God, I'm halfway through this book. Um, oh, my God, I got to get up because we're going on our ski trip tomorrow. Yeah. You probably stop thinking, like, oh, I didn't see that he called me Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> right. oh. So, um, take me through... Uh, your career from there. Uh, how how did you end up working here uh, in a, in a non acting role? I guess. Well, so I was not retained when they were kind of collapsing my cast and bringing people into the um, into the main stage, and I um, started teaching, and I was interning some classes. And because at that point they they were expanding the times with which where they were teaching classes. Uh, one of the times that no one could do or wanted to do was Thursday nights. So, and because the classes were three hours long, they used to go seven to ten. Oof. So, no one on the main stage could do that. And I'm like, I'll do that. So all of a sudden I started at a, you know, like, without doing a lot of interning, I started teaching four, five, and six. And I directed a grad show very early on. How, how, how did you go? Because you, you're the director of, uh, you're the artistic director now. How, how do you get directing experience without having directing experience? Just through being in shows? Well, there was no one who was directing that group that we were in. Hmm. So I started to look at other improv and kind of say like, okay, you know, well, in, in this way, I think we're always doing this structure this way. What... I think we need to do is think about doing it for a longer period of time so we're not hitting that beat four minutes in. What if we're thinking about going for a 10 You know, you start to think of things in, uh, for me, I start to think in a bigger picture way rather than just my performance. And being able to talk about a show in a way that made people feel like, I'm not giving you a note. This is where I think, you know, we as a group, like, 
petered out too quickly or we went super blue last night. Um, you know, like one of my one of my favorite things is uh, one of my favorite notes came. Uh, Chet was working with the like a, a iteration of the touring company, and to be able to sit and watch a show and say like this is where the audience enjoyed it. At this point, the audience got confused. Mm. I also got confused, or I knew what was going on because I watched too much improv and I know what you were doing. <laughs> the audience didn't, right. or your scene partner didn't. And being able to kind of like step back and look at the person on stage and how they are in relation to the space and the other people on stage and the audience and the whole experience. Mm. So to be able to direct, I think, requires you to think outside of your own individual performance. And that's why I also really don't like the idea of directing a show that you're in. Yeah. I did it. We did it. You know, we all kind of took turns directing in that that cast I used to be in. And ultimately, it always kind of came back to me because other people were fucking nimrods. <laughs> um, it can be tough doing, like, being in a group and, like, wanting to say, like, oh, I think we could have done this better or that better. And also say it in a way where it's not like, oh... Like, this guy's telling me to fuck off or something. Yeah, or like, you were saying I didn't do a good job. Yeah. Well, you didn't do a good job. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine it's tough being part of a cast and also kind of managing the cast at the same time mm. and towing that line where you don't want to offend anybody, but you do have to give direction. Well, I, and I think that's part of the thing is being able to give direction, I think, also is being able to give someone very critical feedback and making them feel like, and it has nothing to do with you as a person, or validate, I'm, by, by saying you might have wanted to choose a more physical response when he said that there were ants in your pants and you didn't do anything. Right. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean I don't like you or you're not a good person. <laughs> right. You know, and there, for some people that's really hard. Yeah. I mean, when I first started teaching, um, there is a love fest, I think, that improv has, and I think certain instructors foster that love fest in such a way. Whereas I'm like, all right, everybody, get the f get up on your feet and let's do this. That right. I, just having you, I had you for one class, our first level four class, and like we've we've had other teachers be critical, uh, but not, I mean not critical, but you know, give notes and stuff. But you you were just you weren't pulling your punches, which personally I really appreciated. Right. You know, because there are those people who are here, and I think for every person they have a very different response, which yeah. is like, you know, oh my God, you probably felt that I don't care to hurt your feelings, and I'm not here to coddle them. Right. You know? Right. I don't right. think you heard him say that you were grandpa. I keep using that as yeah. a, <laughs> example, a good example here. Yeah. But like, if I'm seeing this, or if I think, wow, you are starting a lot of scenes and you're swaying back and forth on your feet, mm -hmm. ground yourself. That doesn't mean anything, and I think for some people that's really hard because they don't want that level of note. Right. Sometimes people are here because the pottery class that they went to was pulled up. <laughs> right, right. And they just want to have a good time. Right. They don't, you know, like, uh, you know, one of my, I lived with a guy who taught here for years and we used to laugh about people because he had this woman who, you know, stereotypically mousy cello player. And he'd give her a <clears> note and she, she one, set, one day said, I think it was the end of level three. She was like, I don't want your notes because I'm not here to get better. I'm here to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And on some level, I kind of admire that, which is like, it's okay, bold. you're here for the experience and you're not going to be a performer. Right. You want to fuck around. You want the, the lessons that this is. And, and for me, I, I modulate what I say to who I'm saying it to, to say like, what are you trying to get out of this? And I, you know, right. particularly when I'm starting a level, I can kind of have everyone going around in a circle and say, like, tell me what you do, tell me why you took class. Mm. And that's going to, on some level, change how I speak to you. Because if you're here, you know, if you're a 65-year-old dude <laughs> and you're like, I retired and I've always wanted to do comedy, well, you know, fucking good for you. Yeah. Right. You're probably not going to make a cast here and you're probably got a different sensibility of what it is that we're trying to do here. So part of it is me testing the waters a little bit. Mm -hmm. But then there's the young Turks who kind of be like, I'm going to be on the main stage. I'm going to be on it within a year. <laughs> I'm like, all right, dude, here you go. <laughs> there's a level of um, 
resetting your expectations. And I talked about this with Trevor on the podcast a little bit. But, like, when I first got here, I was like, I really wanted to make house teams and then just move up the ladder. And I still, still like to make house teams, but I have no intention of ever trying to get up to NXT or the main stage. That I, I professional just, level. Yeah, I, I just... I, but I, that doesn't reflect my... Uh, opinion on improv at all. Obviously, I'm doing this podcast. Yeah. I, if I, anything, you found that your passion of it supersedes, I think, whatever the gig is. Right. That you... I mean, here's the thing. I love your podcast and I love your story, which Thanks. to me, I think is so amazing of what improv can do, which is it gives people an outlet to connect with other people in a different way. And you talk about, you know, on the podcast, the different ways that you found it. I love... You know, I'm not that touchy-feely a guy, but there is something therapeutic about being able to go through these exercises and to find different ways of connecting with people. Yeah. And the socialization and the listening and all that kind of stuff, God, I talk fucking forever. <laughs> oh, I hate myself. So what I would um, like to say is I think that you are the backbone of this place. Oh. <laughs> and um, I think you take interests that are pe- in people that are interested um, and you, 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 you've met with people, you met with me, you know, outside of here, and uh, I've talked to other people that you've met with, and mm-hmm. I, I think it, it, the common, commonality among them is they're, they're all just interested in improv and seeing what they can do to either make themselves better or just forward their careers, and um, I don't know if you know how much that means, but like everybody that speaks of it is like, they just want to impress you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> There's something so crazy about that. And it's so very nice because I think it, 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 you know, like, what I love is that, one, I'm available for people, you know. Um, Which is awesome. I'm not, I'm very lucky that I have a job right now that gives me time to literally have coffee with people when they say, hey, can we get coffee? I have a question. Mm. And, you know, particularly for those people who I need to, sit down with on the main stage or the NXT. It's a running joke in the corporate office that for the most part, I'm just at different coffee houses around the North End talking with actors. <laughs> that, you know, Norm wants to do a web series where uh, I just listen to crazy actors talk about or complain about improv or the gig or, you know, like each other. You know, there, there's something that um, when someone, you know, wants to talk about this, I'm like, yeah, because that's all I do. All I do is sit and have coffee with people and kind of talk about, okay, this is this is what this is what we do here, and for me, it's about trying to create, I think, a better theater. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, trying to get people really excited about this place because what this place, how this place differs from Improv Boston, for example, we're not a community mm. as big as Improv Boston is. Right. Improv Boston has probably a hundred people who perform there every given week. You know, we may have 35, and that's including house teams. You know, there are six people who do the main stage show. Those people do six or seven, eight shows a week. Um, so for me, it's how do we create opportunities for people to perform? How do we create opportunities for people to feel a passion for this theater and the kind of kind of show and the kind of comedy we do here? And how do they then take that out and do their own thing as well? Because whether or not you ever make a cast here, you know, there's 500 people in the training training center at any given time. Mm. There's six jobs on the main stage. Right. So there are people who, you know, if they go beyond level one, and sometimes people get to level one and they're like, that was great, but there's an opening in the pottery class I wanted. <laughs> um, pottery class. That pottery nice. class. That's hot. Yeah. To me. Literally a guy once said that. There was like a <laughs> 67-year-old guy, and I was going around, and I uh, was like, so uh, why are you here? And uh, Peter? Peter, what's your deal? He's like, I'm a retired oil executive, and the yoga class I wanted was full. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Well, he went through all six levels. <laughs> Good for uh, him. That's yeah, fantastic. and that's the sort of thing. I'm like, oh, great. We had a 70-year-old <laughs> graduating <laughs> the training center by the time he finished. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I love – and I think this also goes back to um, as artistic director and to some extent as director of the training center – you know, I'm trying to foster people to direct. I'm trying to foster people to teach. I'm trying to get people to a place where they become really great coaches and they become people that, you know, can go off and do what I did because I had a series of incredible opportunities here 
to performing is performing is performing and you learn how to perform or you don't but I think that there's something so much more oddly passionate about people who can um, get people excited about improv and that's you know, like Patty Barrett just moved to LA. She mm-hmm. had a way to get people really excited about improv. She's my level one. Yeah, yeah, she's fantastic. You know, I, I, I like. Uh, I look at Brian Patterson as somebody like that. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's just it, they they do the the Y show, the, um, and that that's a just an awesome place if you're new into improv, just to cut your teeth and get yeah. some shows under your belt. Yeah. you know, maybe you haven't made house teams yet, but um, yeah, Bill's group. Uh, Buscal, my group Eagle Come, we do it every Monday. You know? yeah. So is it C-U-M? I have the same question. C-O-M-E, exclamation point. Is it supposed to be uh, evocative or <coughs> ejaculate? Yeah, so. Okay. <laughs> real quickly, um, we had Kylie in class, and we were doing a mirroring exercise where uh, somebody would say a phrase, it could be anything, and Evan, who was in my class, was like, Eagle Come, and he extended his arm as if he was calling oh. an eagle to him. Mm. Yeah. And then everybody was supposed to go around in a circle and just do the same thing that he did. But by the e- end of the circle, people were, like, shaking their hands like they had jizz all over their hands. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. We got a kick out of it. and it just That's right. Reading there. it, it looks like, eagle, come, as opposed to hearing it, uh, hearing it sounds like yeah. eagle, come. Yeah. <laughs> We've kicked around with the idea of changing the name, but I think we're going to stick with it. For no, why not? Why not? Yeah, go for it. Um, we've been talking about that too, but like, it's just we, we've already done shows as Buscal, you know. It's it might as well just continue with that. Buscal, Buscal. Yeah, you had yep. uh, you had Kylie as a director, we, correct? We did. Yeah, we had her. Uh, she we she would come and like teach us after hours or something like that. Um, and then we we also have Matt Catanzano, who he's around every once in a while. Um, we get him really good. <laughs> Absolutely no, and like that's it's just a matter of like once a week wasn't really enough for us if like doing improv. So we're like, what could we do to you know get this? And we were able to talk to these really talented people and really great people and just say, hey, you know, would you be interested in coming and directing us and helping us out? Yeah. Now speaking of Kylie, uh, she's in Ireland right now. Yes, she is. Do you want to talk about? Improv Asylum Dublin, a little bit. If you want me to, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, I just came back uh, last, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before, from about five weeks, four or five weeks in Dublin, where I directed um, the first Dublin main stage show. So we partnered with a theater there, uh, the Tivoli, and we have two Improv Asylum alums, Kylie Fitzgerald and Taylor Burris. And then we have four local actors that we hired, and we did the same, a very similar process to what we do here. We we wrote as a group, or they wrote as a group, and we put things up on stage, and I kind of said, like, I love that. Why don't you work on a third beat? Or, I don't know if that's working, and, you know. How's the humor there? Is it the same? I think that they are... It's hard to say, because I definitely felt odd at times um, they, they did not seem to be as okay with pushing buttons or being hmm. potentially as uh, nasty as, you know or provocative as I think sometimes we can be uh, or particularly like Kylie had a couple of things that I'm like oh that's a riot <laughs> and then you can see the Irish people being like no <laughs> no don't say that uh, it's terrible um also, worst Irish accent ever. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, in terms of the audiences, um, I think it's going to be a real slow build to really figure out when there are huge houses there, what's hitting and what's not hitting. But for me, um, there's an aggressive energy that we have that they did not have, um, that they were far more, you know, a little slow build at the top of the scenes that a lot of it was how people learn and what what shows they're exposed to in terms of improv shows and yeah. you know that idea of slow build or slow play or long form to me does not mean you go a minute and a half without making a choice hmm. you know maybe the show's taking a little while to get to the big thing but we got to be continuing continuously seeing choices being made and people building off of one another 
but there were a couple of scenes at the beginning of the process where it was like, hey, oh, hey there, <laughs> how are you? Oh, grand, thanks. <laughs> would that would that be? What are you buying? <laughs> a newspaper. What are you buying? A newspaper. <laughs> and it would go on, and I'm like I, looking around the room, being like, "This scene sounds hilarious to me." By the way, <laughs> but you see enough scenes like that, I'm like, yeah. "Your accent is no longer charming." Uh, <laughs> would that speak to? I mean, you said that you got some local guys yeah. there, and now obviously they didn't have a training center to draw from. Well, that's the thing that's crazy. I feel like in the U.S. in the last ten years, every city has now developed one, if not two, yeah. competing training centers in every major market. It's crazy also that we all find, you know, one of my favorite phrases when it comes to this is Freud has the theory of the narcissism of small differences, right? That somehow, like, someone at Improv Boston can look at what Improv Asylum does and says, like, yo, fuck those guys. (laughs) They're doing it so differently. Whereas I'm like, hey, we all ask, can I have a suggestion? (laughs) Get the fuck off your message board. Uh, (laughs) They have Herald Nights on a Tuesday. That's ridiculous. Yeah, the the narcissism of small differences to me is so fucking funny. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. Like, you may... Um, you may come to an improv asylum show and say like, oh, it's not nearly as experimental as I'm into. You know, I went to Harold Night last night at Improv Boston. Mm. Um, Those are some good shows. Yeah, you know, it was just very funny because I feel like every time I go over there, there's like the Imperial Death March theme that they hear. <laughs> where like Vader has come on to the, the, the ship yeah. and they're just... You know, sending messages and all their droids, droids sh- <laughs> shuttling them out. Uh, it's just so funny because I'm like, hey, this isn't that different, everybody. Yeah. Um, so when you know, like, because I love, I love watching people lose their minds, um, and watching people lose their minds to be able to. How do we get on this? Okay, so there's no training centers in, in right. no, <laughs> but you know, like that's where you know the idea that we we've, we've all. We're all doing the same thing, and how we then do it, you know, to me, as a director, as the artistic director here, as a director of the training center, I want it a little faster, I want it a little louder, and I want it a little bit more immediate. I mm-hmm. want you to make the choice, and I want you to be able to show the audience that you're in control of this shit, as opposed to waiting for the wind to blow the object work leaf, and then you become the leaf, <laughs> and then we see the story of the leaf go back up the tree, and eventually <laughs> the tree is born, and we reverse... Tree of Life, Terrence Malick, long form. Uh, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, yeah, you know, definitely, definitely. Fucking make a choice. Uh, I, 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 I definitely agree with you. I do, I do. I like being in scenes where it's kind of a slow build. Maybe that's just because I'm a newer improviser and I feel like I have more space to kind of breathe. Hmm. But like. I, it, but as an audience member, do you like watching that? I, no, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I feel like it's, it's. You see main stage and it's just like pow, 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 pow. And then when I'm out there, I'm like. Yeah, hi. Newspapers, hi. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So that was the sort of thing, like, trying to get everybody in Ireland um, to feel that there's no wrong choice at the top of the scene. If you come out, you make a choice, people are going to get you back. If you commit to it, then it's going to be great. Mm -hmm. Um, And the speed of play there, you know, a lot of the things that we do structurally here as performance structures require you to come out of the gate swinging. metaphors (laughs) metaphors <laughs> now do you see um, other expansion happening yeah 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 I mean I wouldn't be surprised if in the next you know however long that there's something in London you know in that would probably require you to head up there as well right? yeah do you like traveling I did <laughs> I did. Um, I got really sick on uh, this last uh, like three months um and I think it took a little bit out of me that I'm only finally getting ahead, uh, getting mm-hmm. a hold of myself right now. I uh, I have a lot of friends in L.A. and I wanted to go to L.A., but it was also the same week that I was supposed to be going to Dublin for auditions and callbacks for the Dublin show. So I left Boston on a Monday. Uh, I landed, or I left Boston on a Sunday. I landed in Dublin on the Red Eye Monday morning. I went to auditions. I crashed. Uh, I did some work. I went to callbacks. I then got on a plane and went to LA from Dublin. And so it, with like a plane switch in, in Chicago. So it was like 14 and a half hours of travel. And then in LA, I was like, 
I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> and I could feel it. I could feel like something happening. And, uh, and I'm like, I gotta go. And I left LA a day or two early mm-hmm. because I was supposed to take another red eye back. And I'm like, I think another red eye is going to literally kill me. <laughs> Knowing that I had a bunch of shit in February in terms of single ladies and working with the Just Suspects on their show mm-hmm. and the uh, Sunday Night Show, that cast that I work with, and I had just finished opening the main stage show. So there was a lot of different stuff going on. I'm like, I gotta go. So I came back to Boston and I started this cough that became epic. <laughs> and all I could kind of think is like, traveling did this. Because I started to black out. I would cough and I would just pass out in the God. middle and, and the first time it happened was in front of the it was actually like right where you're sitting um, I was watching the NXT or I was watching the Sunday night cast um, present some sketches and what they do is at that point they were writing sketches every Tuesday night presenting presenting them and then they would put them up on Sunday so it was a, a turnaround every week which to me I love that process and it's really exciting to see people continually writing mm. but uh they were presenting the scene and I just started coughing and then I kind of like opened my eyes and everyone was staring at me and I'm like, was I just unconscious? Um, and then that kept happening and I went off to Ireland and I was... Did you get checked out? Oh yeah, a bunch of times. They were throwing everything. But I was passing out two or three times a day in Ireland from coughing. Jesus. Um, so the idea of traveling... the the. The bloom fell off the rose, if that's yeah, the metaphor I'm looking for here. <laughs> because I was in Ireland, it was cold, it was wet, and I was just constantly coughing and blacking out. So one day, um, I had, like, in Ireland, the worst day, where I was watching, like, the Daily Show International Edition. Hmm. Didn't know that and, existed. Uh, yeah. They, like, string together the world stories. Uh, oh, so it's the American Daily Show. Exactly, like right. a weekly edition of all the kind of like worldly oh, things. Oh, okay, cool. Um, at least I think that's what I was watching. But John Stewart was bringing out the gas and I started coughing. And then when I kind of came to, I'm like, uh-oh, I was out for a while. Because I think he's wrapping up this interview. <laughs> um, so I went to a massage therapist and she found a, uh, a lump in my neck that was like a knot. And she needed it out... And I stopped blacking out. She found like a stress knot. That's insane. And it was like closing off my windpipe and like pressing onto a nerve or a vein that was, um, yeah, so it was fucking nutty. That's crazy. Um, But I felt incredibly better. And now the idea of traveling, I don't find so horrible because I'm actually headed back. And if you you know if you start passing out again, just hit up a massage. I've gone a couple of times (laughs) to different ones to be like, hey, just work on my neck and back because I need it. Jeez. Um, So yeah, that was, that was terrifying. So where you're at now is, I think, a really good place to be, but where do you want to be and where do you see yourself in you know, the next couple of years? I want to create more shows. I want to create and I want to, you know, I want to write more of my own stuff. So a lot of the things that kind of got me also directing was I was writing... I was writing a lot of sketches, and then I, I started. I wrote a couple of plays that the asylum produced that were like really fucked up things. That, in retrospect, I'm like, guys, <laughs> how did you let me do that? <laughs> um, like the the idea now that we do a Christmas show is almost a norm. I like the holiday theme yeah. shows, yeah. even like the Halloween show. The, hel- the yeah. Halloween show. Yeah. Um, years ago, I had written a show called Andy Warhol's Christmas Special, and it was the most fucked up thing. <laughs> And I think back, I'm like, you guys let me put that up. Thank you so much. What were you thinking? Because <laughs> um, it was like, just the log line alone is a real dark story about um, the death of Santa Claus as they try to find a replacement and inadvertently um, a pedophile gets <laughs> his uh, magical hat and becomes Santa. <laughs> and that's like the first act. And then the second act <laughs> opens a year later when um, Santa has terrorized the world and every night has raped a different child. Uh, and wow. like taken another child and like the North Pole is just filled with the bones of broken children. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is uh, a good premise. <laughs> so, you know, I think back in terms of like things I'd like to do, I want to kind of create more content and not just direct other people's content. So, you know, I've seen some shows that I'm like, God, I want to do something like that. I, I went to videos a, and stuff. I fucking hate videos. Yeah. 
I do the amount of work that goes into them. I, I, I'm too much of a fucking perfectionist and you know and Chet and Norm can probably attest when we did a, a video show like uh, it would it takes me probably 20 times longer to get what I want yeah. exactly and I'm like let's do that again only this time with like a little bit more joy at the end of the line you know like I, I over direct I overshoot well, takes me forever to edit it does and, take forever we, you know I've been I shooting, hate it I've been shooting some stuff with the suspects and they haven't put it out yet but I think Shoots we've taken eight hours. It's probably gonna be maybe for a two three minute video, mm-hmm. and then that's not including the editing and all right. the other stuff that goes into. I hate it. I love and the, the other thing is, uh, we live in a time where YouTube, anyone can watch anything yeah. on YouTube. I love the idea of live performance mm. and the idea yeah. that we are all in this room having a shared experience. It's even more magical now, absolutely, than it was when that was all there was. Well, you know, I remember very much starting to direct the NXT before I ever directed the main stage even or became the artistic director. And I remember, like, someone was sitting in callbacks and they were trying to curry favor to kind of say, like, in case you didn't notice it on my resume, I've done a lot of comedy videos. And I remember him, like, raising his hand and it's like, so how interested in developing videos are you? <laughs> and I was like, I'm not. We're in a theater. And just because there are monitors there doesn't mean I want to have the audience watch something that they could watch at home. Yeah. Um, so it's that fine line because I think it's a real skill set for any actor to be able to perform on camera, to do more and more and more. But for me, I hate doing it because, like, I shot a video, Jesus, it, it, almost two years ago and it still isn't done I think you know because uh, you know like you work with someone who edits and I'm like oh, I want to I don't like the pacing of this mm. and I start to get I was also like a film studies minor so I you know like I know what I want and when it isn't it I almost don't want to do it do you, do you have an interest in editing yourself and like learning that I do yeah yeah. Oh, do you do edit or No, you... I do have an interest. Okay, all right. And I know final cut to some degree, but I'm right. I'm slow. Right. And there are people much better than me. And you know, like You certainly have a lot on your plate yeah. 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 Like, not, yeah. You know, like the fact that I like occasionally sit and fuck around with web design is a little too much as it is. Right. right, right. That I'm like, hey, because like we shot uh ten episodes of a web series. Only three of them were ever done because the the guy who shot it still has all the footage, and we started to like go back and forth on the edit of the third episode. Nothing happened. <laughs> um, you know, there there's some very uh, funny people who can really move a project forward when it comes to that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Evan Kaufman, if you've ever. Um, seeing him, Richie and Matt with their simply unplayable mm, stuff. Yeah. I'm often like, "Good job crank those for out. just being able to do something." Because for me, it's a logistical nightmare, and I'd rather work in a room with people for a month and create a show. Yeah. And that, you know, like there, there, something about a live show where you know you, you you go with you know your friends or your family. And, more, more so for people that aren't involved with improv because you get a little bit jaded if you're watching improv and you're mm. in improv. You're looking behind that curtain and everything. But uh, if you're just in the audience and you see a live show and you're like, wow, that last sketch or whatever was mm. great. And you just talk about it with your friends while you're walking to your car and then you tell your other friends. About you got to go see this. Yeah. yeah. Um, There's whereas something... a video, like anybody yeah. can just pop it up on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to put it on your Facebook wall. Yeah. You know, like yeah. there's... There's shit that goes on all the time that I'm like, I can't stop talking about it. And that, to me, is the exciting thing about theater as opposed to comedy or as opposed to video. Like, the things that I experienced firsthand, you know, like going to see... I see a lot of stuff at the ART. Like, they did a an hour-long or an hour-and-a-half-long version of the Pirates of Penzance that was, like, family-friendly for kids where all the actors played all the instruments. And it was weirdly set in, like, modern day with all acoustic instruments. I lost my mind, and (laughs) I couldn't stop talking about it. I went to uh, New York, and I saw Sleep No More. Um, I lost my mind, (laughs) and I can't stop talking about it. Sleep No More? Have you seen? No, no, no. no, 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 Okay, so it's... uh, They took over a warehouse. Uh, It's a British production company, theater company, and uh, it is a 
like 1930s Hitchcockian film noir retelling of Macbeth. <laughs> and you walk into this warehouse and they give you a mask. Somebody was telling me about this. Yeah. What? It's been running now for a while and you know it's really popular in New York. Um, you put on a mask and you're not allowed to talk for the duration of the show, but you can walk anywhere in the warehouse and the characters are walking from scene to scene running so you can follow a character on their journey. But it's very easy to get sidetracked and it's it's the finest experience yeah. I can remember having. Like, I'm also a, you know, a fucking lunatic for this shit. I went to a thing in uh, LA this past October called Blackout House. Have you heard of like, yeah. so that it, like the concept of really extreme haunted houses where basically you sign a waiver saying like, yep, oh. it's okay. <laughs> I've heard of stuff like that. They, can, cool. <laughs> they can touch me, I can't touch them. They tell you what to do. So yeah. like, they're fucking with you. And I remember thinking, like, this is the most visceral thing I've been a part of. And I wasn't really, I was certainly unnerved, but I also kind of kept telling myself, I'm like, this is just theater. Mm. This man who's touching me and, like, whispering in my ear, <laughs> making it sound like he's jerking off on my back. <laughs> you know, I'm like, this is a really amazing theater piece that I am totally unnerved by and participating in. Yeah. And that you are as much there you know th this idea that all these people are doing a show for one person at a time and to me I love yeah, that's the other thing about, about that blackout yeah. house is like the first rule is you must walk through alone <laughs> and for that's some people nuts. like that's too much yeah. uh, I love it I'm supposed to be downstairs how long have we been talking? Was it? Uh, it's over an hour. Oh, oh geez. <laughs> yeah, we can wrap it up. Uh, I'm sorry. No, no, it was fine. <laughs> it was interesting. I... Do you have anything you want to plug? Blackout House in L.A. <laughs> in New York. Everyone should go see Sleep No More. Um, if you're in London, go see The Drowned Man. It's their new production. Oh, did you want me to talk about Improv Asylum stuff? Hey, uh, you talk about whatever you want. Okay. Um, the, all the single lady show has a new cast which is very funny um, because the original cast did that show for like three years and a couple of them uh, moved on to either the main stage or to London I mean to Ireland um, so that's that just Ned opened Divines, right? yeah that's every Saturday night at Ned Devines and that's that's a fucking nightmare mm -hmm. I love it because that's where all the drunk bachelorettes go now that's fantastic and uh, Matt Griffin who you've had on the show right yeah. um he plays... Have you seen that show? I haven't. It's, I'm a little weary to go. I, yeah, no, it's totally... You don't want to go alone. <laughs> it's... Uh, it takes place at Ned Devines, and it takes place all around you. And again, I'm far more interested in what is a unique experience mm -hmm. for these yeah. bachelorettes, but Matt plays um, a bear that um, only one of the characters can see. And he's wearing just a giant bear head and nothing more than, like, a loincloth. God. So at one point... Um, I don't want to spoil the show as if it's like, you know, last, <laughs> last week's episode of Game of Thrones. But basically, at one point, Matt is killed. The bear is shot. And the, the four women drag, carry Matt's... Oh, it's, it's like an Easter show, too. Uh, <laughs> they carry the bear's body around the room and let any of the bachelorettes cop a feel. Oh, my God. So, at one point this past week, and this is why the show is just, you know, my favorite... At one point, they put the bear down, and one bachelorette just got on Matt and started fucking riding him. <laughs> and I'm like, this is my theater! Uh, so that was uh, oh that God. is starting up, and every week it is a train wreck in the making in the best way possible. Um, starting in May, Just Suspects will be doing uh, an abridged version of their show on Monday nights. Oh, that's awesome. Um, is that, that the Hard Rock still, or...? Nope, uh, here at Improv Asylum, oh, cool. 8 o'clock, and then uh, as part of like that booby trap show. Oh. So uh, I'm working with them on that. I'm very excited. I am always so excited because NXT is coming up, and that is always kind of a very fun... Mm. I'm a big NXT fan. Yeah, those shows yeah, are fantastic. I loved... One of my, some of my favorite shows that I've directed have been NXT shows because the crowds aren't there on Wednesdays and Saturdays, yeah. so you really... You get to say, like... Doesn't matter. You got to do the show that you want to do, and yeah. you, you get to see people, you know, 
do things also for the first time, particularly for people who have just been in that cast. There's something about the main stage that there's the expectation of professionalism right. and repeatable deliverability so that, are we going to be able to do this five times a week? Mm-hmm. Am I going to be able, you know, like, whereas for the NXT, they're like, one show a week, fuck it. Uh, <laughs> was, so you mentioned that NET was the previous incarnation yeah. or similar. Was N- Is NXT NXT just because it's like the... Like the late '90s extreme rebranding of things <laughs> that, like, rather than any the extreme Ghostbusters. I'd or... like to think so, <laughs> but I think it's an abbreviation for like the next generation. That's what I was thought. Yeah, yeah. I, let's just go with the the, the former though. For, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, all right. That's the official story. The, like, from Jeremy the, they'll all come out with like surges. And, yeah, you know, yeah. like okay, cola. Um, uh, so what? Oh. Uh, is this the longest podcast you've had so far? Might be. The Garage Band started doing this thing where they took the time off, and now they do it in some other rhythm that I don't understand. So I don't even know how long. It's not even. For. We're not even in time anymore. <laughs> where this podcast is in three fourths time. <laughs> um, you can, um, if you want, we can wrap it up and okay. we can edit thank you so much awesome guys. yeah thank, thank you for having me yeah thanks, thanks you again great to talk to you uh, have a great weekend you too. You um too. let's see uh other things to plug i don't know check the website <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks all right. see you later Jeremy right. brothers all right um bill do you have anything you want to plug um bus cow i mean your show yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm probably you're probably plug that too, but let's just plug it twice just in case. If you want to see Bus Cow Wednesday night, yeah, I believe we're opening the show. Yeah, so we'll get them warmed up. Yeah, um, so that show. Just talk about it real quick. I am really excited. It's probably the show I'm most excited for. It's the first show where Eaglecom is producing, uh, and we have a stacked lineup of uh, mix of improv and stand-up comedians, mm. and um, I couldn't be more excited for it. Um, Pascal's going to be there. Hashtag comedy. Chico. Russian for Elephant. Um, I'm sorry if I'm missing anybody. but And we're going to have some stand-ups as well. And uh, Andy Cast- Catalano is going to be there. Um, is she just doing like a one-woman thing? Like it's all groups and then it's just Annie Catalano. <laughs> I'm hoping she does dinosaur rap, uh, which is probably my favorite bit of improv slash sketch that I've ever seen. I've heard. Of, I've heard of it. I haven't. I saw her. Uh, her. Her president's rap. The president's rap with all the pets, yeah. which was fantastic. But I'm looking forward to that. Um, so I mean, that's a bold statement, but I actually stand by it. I, I am way into it. Uh, so I hope she does that. Um, we are gonna be well. Eagle Come is gonna be at Improv Boston at the Cage Match tonight, which means nothing to you if you're listening to this episode but if we win (laughs) (laughs) if we win we'll be there next Friday uh, which is probably the 25th and then we could keep winning and be there for the foreseeable future who knows (laughs) Friday night staple Eagle come at the cage match awesome well anything else Uh, so you got the uh deep Oh, Deep Pod Cuts. Yeah, deep that's going to be... Yeah, so uh, that's going to be out real soon. We're going to be part of... Or we're going to talk to Tom about being part of Bits. And uh, basically we just... Me and uh, Zach Bain and Ryan Piranunzi are going to be scouring the web for uh, podcasts that we may or may not fully improvise ourselves. So check that out. All right. It uh, looks like it's not going to be a made-up movie game this week. I think we went a little long and... I don't want to try to bang out a quick Fair enough, man. One, yep. so, um, that was a good convo, though. <laughs> yeah. I think that was some that was some like history of IA and just one of the best, most talented people you're going to meet in Boston. Yep, I totally agree. Yep. All right. Uh, thank you, everybody, listening. Um, rest in peace, non-improvisers. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>